This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, Season 2, Episode 9, and Hell Itself, My Only Foe. fellow Penny Faithful, this is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Penny Dreadful Season 2, Episode 9, and Hell Itself, My Only Foe. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, come join the merriment. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of Putney's freaks. Hello, I'm Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Nice to have everybody back for these last couple of episodes of this season as well. It's really uh, really fun to talk about. Um, We'll kick straight into it, I Mm -hmm. guess. If you guys are happy to? Yeah, fire away. Excellent. Uh, the episode was directed by Brian Kirk. This is the third episode he directed of Penny Dreadful, and he also directs the finale of this season as well. I love how they give each of these directors their kind of bucket of episodes where they direct them back to back, so it feels really film-like. Yeah. Uh, I think you, each one of them has their own little stamp uh, on what they do with each of the episodes. So Brian Kirk has, has delivered some of the best episodes, really, of the season. He gave us uh, Nightcomers, the flashback episode, with Paddy Lapone uh, in the episode, uh, and he's also got this episode in the finale, so a uh, lovely consistency from his work on the show. Um, also, the showrunner, John Logan, writing every episode, does give that uh, certain vision to the show as well. So, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the summary for this episode? Sure. Ethan and Vanessa's stay at the cottage is interrupted when Ethan's pursuer, Warren Roper, catches up with him. They soon make short shrift of him, but Victor Frankenstein arrives and they return to London to rescue Sir Malcolm from Mrs. Poole. Inspector Rusk is waiting for Ethan, but doesn't arrest him. Sir Malcolm's friends and colleagues agree that they cannot go to Mrs. Poole's house in the night when the witch's powers are strongest, and will instead go in the morning. However, Vanessa seemingly agrees, but leaves the house on her own, intent on saving Sir Malcolm. The others follow, but it's a full moon, and Ethan loses control. Boo. I know, boo. (laughs) Damn it. Silly episode. Yeah. Stupid. The impending Ethan. doom of the arrival of the full moon. Yeah, lots going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's kick into our big moments of the episode then. Um, John, do you want to kick us off this time? Yeah, it, it is the attack on the pool villa um, in that sense. And uh, yeah, it kind of relates to our boo hiss <laughs> um, with, uh, you know, we, we get Sembene's backstory here um, j- just very briefly. Um, but we, we get a sense of why he's there with um Sir Malcolm in in London and, and not in Africa yeah um which i i really liked it does um give that lovely complication to um real life as opposed to the the history tales that maybe we get um and also his his friendship with Ethan mm-hmm. um uh, but at the same time, uh, it is R.I.P. Sembene um, as a result of, I suppose, what we were dis- discussing in the previous podcast episode, his his stoic bravery and mm-hmm. um, him willing to be unflinching in, in the face of, of danger uh, and to really ste- step up to the plate um, when he needs to. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
coming to Sembene's backstory, you know, those marks on, on his face, which have, uh, you know, they're fascinating. Is it sort of decorative ritual? Uh, what it, what is it? But the marks mean that he, effectively was a slave trader mm-hmm. um and so was both feared and hated um in in his life uh, and i i think this is a really interesting take uh for the character because yeah unfortunately that dark part in uh, our history is massively complicated mm-hmm. um and indeed uh, i think sembeni is embodiment of that complication around the african slave trade yeah. to um, North America, Caribbean, even to, into Europe. So, okay, yeah. um, I, I thought that was really, uh, interesting, you know, coming from, uh, close to Liverpool, which very much, um, has a lot of its Georgian wealth was founded on slave trading. Yeah. And um, so it, it, it's quite fascinating seeing this, this, um, I suppose additional complication to the general history well yeah given around slave trading the involvement effectively of of africans in that whether willingly or whether through um the the stick i suppose whether through the carrot or the stick yeah um, i feel like from from um Sumbene's admission here that it sounds like he went along willingly he was a, a local facilitator for the slave trade but regrets it um it's one of the elements from history that the people that were most significantly involved in the slave trade get away with zero punishment for being involved yet the local facilitators because they're there and because they're on the ground and known locally before it began i suppose they're the ones that get the maximum amount of punishment so it feels like he's been banished from south africa even though he regrets what he did it he has to live with it and it feels like he's been banished and that's why he's with sir malcolm here well as he says he i found kindness in this house Mm -hmm. um but but it's that divide and conquer element it's finding those local rifts um between different parts of, of Africa where they pit one against the other and, uh, you know, and that divide and conquer rule that used here or it was used in India or it, wherever in that colonial period mm-hmm. to pit um, local against local. Um, and it, it's, it's a really sad element. And of course, Sembeni has found himself involved or, or a part of that divide and conquer and so feared and hated in, in his own country and is, is effectively in London as valet, uh, to Sir Malcolm where he has in a sense uh, escaped that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I thought that was, it's an, it's a nice touch. I like the way John Logan touches on these aspects of history of that time as well you you see that with lily and the the place of women in victorian society mm-hmm. um you see it in in a sense uh, with caliban or john clare in terms of sort of outsiders um and mr lyle um as well so i i, I find that I, I find these touch points that john logan brings uh massively um sort of interesting Absolutely. yeah they, they had to have been something massive, I guess, that was part of Sembene's history um, because we were all wondering what is it and and, um, and it is quite shocking to, to think that this guy who's so, he seems so, um, you know, upstanding to everyone and so kind mm-hmm. to everyone has this horrendous history um, and, and for someone yeah. to be, sh- I mean, short of being a mass murderer and, and being a totally despicable mm-hmm. 
uh, citizen of society. He's actually he's done something against his own, um, you know, his his fellow uh, countrymen. Uh, he's been ostracized yeah. as well, which is he's lost his identity. Um, so mm-hmm. and he regrets everything. So you can only imagine how heavy that weighs on him, uh, and how much yeah. he wants to kind of uh, redeem himself. Uh, so again, mm-hmm. it, it just it really does enrich him as a character, and um, absolutely. And I think added to that as well, I, I wanted to also just add his relationship with Ethan. I think John Logan's yeah. done a, a fantastic job with building that um, gradually yeah. over the season, um, if not a little here and there in, in season one. Uh, it, it's it really does. Add. So towards the end of of this episode, where we see them stuck together. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of fitting that they're they're both there alone together. Um, it's yeah, also as scary as hell. I don't know about you, but the fact yeah. that you had some Bene in there and you kind of feel like you're in there with him, you know that Ethan's going to mm-hmm. turn because that full moon's coming. And it's, oh, yeah, how so. scary was that? Because there was no way out. Um, I think it was a really yeah. great way to end that episode. It absolutely was, and, and I was hoping against hope. I did go directly on to the next episode because I was hoping against hope something would happen there. You know, there would be some yeah. stop. Simbene would not be killed by uh, by uh, Ethan attacking him. Maybe he would be. He would also become a, mm. a werewolf in the future. Maybe that's what happened. He just bit him and he was pulled off him, or something uh, would happen. But no, it's uh, it's quite a quite a, a deathly end yeah, for it- Simbene. But. But very stoic, and, and as you say, that the character himself realizes that he has to sacrifice himself so that Ethan can live and Ethan can fulfill the destiny that yeah. he has available to him. Uh, I think that's that's also really important for the character because he is a very strong character, but the explanation that we get in this episode of him being involved in the slave trade and his regret for it does, I think, really underline why he's able to hang around and be a member of this team with all of these other monstrous people because he knows himself how monstrous he is for the things that he did. Mm. And I think it's a really good explanation as to why he's able to accept what Vanessa's doing, what I, how he's able to accept who Ethan is and and Victor Frankenstein yeah, and also exa- Malcolm because definitely. he's also done monstrous things in his life, which we just didn't know about till now. Mm. Yeah, um, but, def- yeah, definitely. And I think coming back to the sacrifice, you know, because ultimately in that correction of the translation by Sir Malcolm in the previous episode to say the wolf of God rather than the hound of God, it is only Sembene that knows who Ethan truly is. Mm-hmm. Whilst Vanessa may have inklings and certainly they dance around that um, at the cut wife's uh, cottage uh, in Ballantry Moor, she doesn't know until um, the moment she sees it yeah. in the next episode. So um, the, the, this is real sacrifice and even that Simbeni stops Ethan from killing himself with the mm. bullet. And he, he says, I am just a man. You have been chosen by God. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the, the translation that Mr. Lyle has done. So this is, I mean, this was really sad for me. I was almost thinking, I, I really hope there is some kind of supernatural element, um, that, you know, almost kind of Black Panther type thing that it, you know, he, he will somehow get reborn, maybe not as a werewolf, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I was hoping that there was some element there, but uh, I was just thinking the likelihood, you know, that the, from, the stories of werewolves it is similar to the vampiric power that it can yeah. be transferred to somebody else if you get bitten you become a werewolf so i was kind of going oh next episode we're going to have two werewolves which one's the wolf of god <laughs> you know, kind of thing. but uh no well unfortunately there is that great shot where you see ethan taking uh his his takeout um and uh some 
struggling and then kind of his his face and eyes kind of going quite dead looking so his takeout surely you mean his home delivery well home delivery <laughs> delivered yeah, by okay, Hecker, yeah. Really. um deliveroo um by Hecker, yeah. Yeah. but uh but i mean ultimately this this moment where they are trapped together in the the spiral staircase and um, also comes from uh Hecate's plan against mm. her mother, which involves Ethan. We have Hecate uh, earlier visiting Ethan, uh, indicating that he should um, not serve the Galilean god, but the winged Lucifer. Um, and you know, this is a this is a plan to effectively trump her own mother. This is a power play between Hecate um, and. Evelyn Poole, mm-hmm. of which I think Evelyn Poole is not fully aware of. She knows a game is being played to some extent, and certainly Mr. Lyle does, but uh, she doesn't know the, the true implication here. Uh, and this is bringing the, the Wolf of God into um, the, the Witch's Coven to uh, potentially unleash it on her sisters and, and, and mother here. So I I, I kind of like that. Um, also, Hecate leaving through the mirror uh, mm. was very cool, actually. Oh, absolutely. Um, I thought that was uh, superb. Yeah. Um, and just to your point about the labyrinth nature of this house, mm. um, I I loved I loved that where they're all, you know, both Mr. Lyle, Victor um and uh some benny and ethan all coming into her house you know it, it's it's lovely and dark it's gothic but it's labyrinth um that you know that at each turn there's a disorientation to these intruders into the house and it's really reminiscent for me of hell house uh by richard matheson mm-hmm. uh, and even then the house of leaves that you seemingly uh, whether it is in reality or just by the trick of geometry, there seems to be this this endlessness to, of corridors and, and doors uh, within this house. You know, like the TARDIS, effectively. Mm. Um, and so uh, this this is really really cool um, because yeah, yeah th- those two two books, Hell House, Richard Matheson, and House of Leaves by uh, Mark Danieluski, um, are just superb in mm-hmm. creating that horror from your home effectively yeah. or, or from a, a house uh, never really read good a, never read a better horror book than house of leaves oh. absolutely fantastic highly recommended for anybody who likes reading horror it's one yeah of the best. definitely and hell house being the original um yes. obviously by uh, richard m matheson who also did i am legend oh. which is also about vampires yes. yeah that's right that's right uh, yeah, some really good references. I really love the um, the house as well. I think it really mm, yeah. played into this whole, uh, you know, let's get the band together and let's storm um, the front, uh, the gates. And and I yeah. loved how they're a little, you know, the, the house had character because if we take Ethan and Timbene, there's this the, these little tricks and um, booby traps happening, and and you've got the witches coming mm-hmm. out of the walls. You've got Sir Malcolm in another room somewhere. He's got some other sort of magic cast upon him and he's uh, dealing with his own troubles uh, i just love how the house mm-hmm. has its own character in it and it, it yeah. it's as dangerous as well it, it is as dangerous as the witches themselves um and, and in the Without heart of it somewhere yeah. there's that that creepy 
dollhouse with, with Evelyn Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I felt like a bit, bit of Castlevania or a, a little bit of a, like, like, yeah, exactly. Like the, um, the approach to taking down Dracula where everybody's going into mm. his mansion and there's something going on in every room to disorientate, uh, disorientate them or uh, throw them off the scent. So, uh, yeah, really, really like this in the episode. Indeed, from the production notes for this, the, the set designer for, um, the, the witch's house did the curved um corridors to give that sense of endlessness but mm-hmm. also to uh, make it appear bigger on the smaller set that they had to make it on yeah. as well yeah. so uh, to give that sense of vastness to this huge victorian villa mm-hmm. um but obviously building it on uh, on a set so mm. that that trick there uh, it is a nice little bit as well yeah, definitely definitely ray do you want to take us on to your big moment from this episode yeah i i thought um apart from the obviously storming um the witch's headquarters i thought um, to take a look at John Clare's story at the side, and uh, there were big things happening there. The, the big thing for me in this episode was was um, the reveal of, I guess, Lavinia and, and more of the Putneys um, and mm-hmm. what they have planned for John Clare. And, and this was... Uh, it was like watching a, a hunter kind of lead a rabbit to a to a trap here. Um, Absolutely. I remember when I first watched this... Uh, I was, I was duped and I couldn't believe, cause she plays it so well, uh, um, mm-hmm. being the, the really caring, thoughtful, blind daughter. Uh, and, and she yeah. leads John Claire in and bam, he's in there. He's one of the first, he's the first of one of many freaks that they hope to, uh, capture and, and make money from in, in Putney's, um, waxworks. Uh, so it was her turn of character and, and a bit more of the Putney's coming in and, um, poor John Claire. Stuck in his cage. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of, it kind of moved that storyline onwards. Um, and we, we did get yeah. an inkling of, of, uh, the husband and wife, uh, obviously having other ulterior motives, but Lavinia, that was the final nail in the coffin. Yeah. I think it's just, it, it's so brutal of her as well, because yeah. I think when you contrast that with the conversation that John Player has been having with Vanessa when he's been meeting up with her and the two of them have been talking poetry to each other. You almost felt like Lavinia was also somebody yes. that had that relationship with John Clare and for her to go, um, you know, what's that book inside there? And he reaches down to pick it up and it's like, it's some more of your crap poetry, mm. basically. Not everybody's into poetry like you are. It's so boring uh-huh. when you talk about poetry and I've had yeah. to listen to it over and over yeah. again every day until this plan came into action kind of thing and it just it's like a knife into his heart even just her saying that to him let alone him being locked up it's her saying the friendship you thought you had with me and the connection that you thought we had was all a lie to get you to this point it's a really uh, it's like pulling the rug out from underneath him it's really harsh yeah i mean that's twice that um a, a lady has said that to him lily in the episode before yeah. having a, a go at his poetry and now uh lavinia um what's she say not everyone shows your mania for poetry <laughs> um yeah no i i, I thought this was really good because I mean, at the start, I think in episode one, and he comes to the waxwork, um, to the Putneys for, for his job. It's like, you know, this is this new stage. Uh, Mr. Putney is immediately, you're kind of going, is this like Vincent from the Grand Grignol? And of course, uh, no, ultimately is not. Where, um, you know, at the end of season one, Vincent has to, uh, let, uh, Caliban go from his service, um, s- slightly reluctantly here, um, Mr. Putney is forcefully keeping, um, 
Caliban or John Clare now yeah. within his service um, against his will. Uh, and you have that great moment um, previously with Mr. Putney uh, where he talks about, uh, you know, when the devil knocks that he's not distorted um he's beautiful a, a siren um and i think lavinia here is is that siren as she locks him in mr putney's great sort of ballyhoo his mm. new ballyhoo um and as, i suppose you yeah there's, there's also the references to maybe uh lily being that siren or indeed dorian being that siren yeah. a, as well i think john clare is thinking about lily when he's mm. saying this he's, he's thinking about that person that would lure him in there but it turns out right in his in his eye line is, is the actual yeah. siren that's luring him to his uh, his his face i suppose um but it, it's a, a fascinating conversation i also like he references you know um if i was to build my own version of this it would be pandora with her box and inside that box would be a mirror showing your own horror to yourself effectively so uh, once again the horror of humanity visiting upon the creature again yeah you know, it's uh it's He's got such a tough story uh, right. a lot of times throughout the show. You know, I think you talked about it at the start of the season, right? And were you asking the question, will he trust people? Because mm. everybody seems to be so nice and to yeah, him. Exactly. And, and look what happens to him <laughs> once again. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. And there's, um, I like it, that really nice little technique that's used to play on the trope of, because um, mm-hmm. we as viewers were lured in, um, Lavinia being the blind girl, um, this thing about mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't see his uh, imperfections on the surface level. She sees his true self within. So surely she will get him. Um, uh, yeah. That's how I kind of took her at the beginning. And, and of course, she came across like that as well. So um, I mm-hmm. liked how that was turned on its head. And um, yeah, and it's it's Lavinia who is blind and she's still terrible like she's still horrible yeah. um yeah she's awful yes yes but uh obviously a, a nature versus nurture question mm. there Her parents are absolutely horrible as well oh, you know definitely we have uh we have mr putney getting so delighted with himself about the success he's making of this house of horrors that he just wants to make it even more horrific and it doesn't matter whether he's going to have to entrap freaks as he calls them you know he, he's going to take everything on board just to make more and more money for himself mm. uh, and the rest of the family all seem to be on his side so uh yeah really really sad for uh, for poor john claire um will he ever find solace uh, nobody seems to be w- really willing to to deal with him as a human or as a as a, a being that they can uh treat with any kind of kindness mm. so um yeah sad sad little moment mm-hmm. Is that it for that point right uh yeah yeah cool well i'll jump on to uh my big moment from the episode because we have the two immortals coming side by side together, the two grotesque immortals coming side by side together, Lily making Dorian join her uh, in her quest for control of the world. Uh, I, I just think it, it's really important here because we said there was a great moment within the ball where we had uh, Dorian and Lily dancing and also dancing around their previous uh, relationship or their previous moment together, whereas yeah. it's all laid out bare in this conversation with Dorian, where he says, uh, do you recognize the room since since the ball? And then he goes, I've also had photography sessions in here. Lily, or is it mm. Brona? Yeah. Um, and then Brona kind of says, or maybe it's some divine admixture of both of those things. Uh, so suddenly revealed that she does remember Dorian. She knows everything about what happened to them before. She knows exactly who he is and how monstrous he is. Uh, I just really like that they've finally kind of laid it out there. Because we didn't know when we had that conversation between the two, you didn't know whether... I think I said uh, you didn't know whether Dorian has just had so many experiences with so many people that he completely forgot about that one night Mm. that he took photographs of the dying Brona or whether it was something that 
he absolutely remembered this massive moment in his history and that he was fully aware of who she was. So uh, so I like that they laid out that there. I also like that he's willing to accept her monstrous nature and she's willing to accept his and she knows there's something else about him. So bites off his <laughs> ear and then goes, yeah. show me your power. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, go heal yourself, my beloved immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, I I actually I just loved um, the call out of being immortal here. So because it it's not something I was really thinking about with Dorian or even say with Lily and but it, it's this idea of the immortals, mm-hmm. you know, Zeus on his mountain in, in Olympus or Jupiter in the heavens. These this Roman and Greek gods, yeah, uh, and certainly or Wolverine, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the tale of <laughs> well, exactly the, the the you know this tale of these immortals um trying to uh, challenge humanity from their boredom and uh, you know looking down on them and playing with their creations mm-hmm. um, and whilst that's slightly inverted here with with lily having been created by a human nonetheless i, I kind of like that idea of how how lily sees herself Absolutely. um above humanity yeah. um and will now go and play with them in a sense and how dorian in any case has been playing with them for however long he's been doing it um absolutely and not only does she see herself above humanity she also sees herself above dorian it's tell me your secrets and kneel to Mm. me is uh, is the invitation she has it's not it's it's actually probably a less attractive offer than she gave to john clare john clare was stand by my side after kneeling uh, to her and now it's uh kneel to me uh, and tell me everything about you kind of thing so uh, so yeah it looks like she's about to set up the army of the of the immortals basically mm. um, yeah with a know. bit of rough and tumble mm-hmm. with dorian um like that is one earlobe nibble um, <laughs> for is. sure yeah um yeah he does look quite shocked he about does, it I, I do get the feeling that while he is healed and restored from the sexual encounters he's had in the past, he had the the uh, the pretty violent sexual experience with uh, with Vanessa, where she was cutting bits of his face with her with her nails and uh, the knife and that kind of stuff. But I feel like he's never had an arm lopped off and regrown before. So I wonder if having his ear take ripped off by uh, by Lily, I wonder if he's kind of going. I'm not too sure whether I can grow an ear back. That seems like a massive thing, rather than just healing quickly. Uh, growing well, an ear back seems quite different. Well, he goes into his his secret chamber. Mm-hmm. for the portrait and i can just imagine the portrait rolling its eyes and going oh <laughs> my god will you not just you know a little bit of friendly slap and tickle in the yeah. bed dorian not rough and tumble <laughs> Absolutely. you know um, now i've got to look even more grotesque yeah. mm-hmm. no wonder the portrait wants to lunge at him it's like, <laughs> like will you just stop it <laughs> i mean at this stage as well lily doesn't know about the portrait right so for all Intense. Mm. It could have been Dorian's twin brother coming out. You know, ta da! <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> exactly. my uh, injured brothers over there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's really interesting that Lily has chosen Dorian over John Clare, um, considering that mm. how like alike they are, Lily and John Clare. But I think she must be just allured to or attracted to. Uh, Dorian's nature, which she knows she probably can work with, um, and he'd be more amenable to doing, you know, to world domination than say John Clare. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, a very big moment in the, 
in the season because it's these, as you say, two titans coming together. And it's like, oh, gosh, you yep. know how bad Dorian is. You know how evil Lily is mm-hmm. now. Oh, gosh, we're yeah. in some trouble here. So um, yeah, at this stage, exactly. I'm kind of like going, where's John Clare? I'm going to be rooting for him now. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I, I suppose that's it, isn't it? Like, there's a there's a certain vulnerability to John Clare that Dorian doesn't have. Mm. Um, so while Lillian and John Clare may have been created uh, in the same way, she has a power and she has uh, a, a will to take over the world. Yet uh, all John Clare wants is to settle down with the person that was created for him and kill the person that created him, so he can't do it again. Uh, that's not Lily's plan. It seems she's uh, much more. Uh, bent on domination uh, yeah. than, than anything else and that that absolutely matches her quite well to dorian but uh yeah, yeah super villains being created in this episode <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> that's my major point from this episode any notes from the episode that we haven't talked about oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's one big moment and a couple of notes john okay, it's yeah, not yeah. seven big moments pushed into notes <laughs> um <laughs> Go on, john. My, no my notes just on inspector rusk i'm really mm. uh love this character mm-hmm. um because he is menacing and that there's a real inevitability about him um that he is unstoppable um in his pursuit and i really uh like that and yeah. um, if anything is going to freak ethan out it is this um menace that comes from inspector rusk and uh you know n- none more so than um the fact that he touches on otherworldliness um that he you know he can't put it in a forensic report log or capture it in a photograph but there is something there that he will get to the bottom of and you know he will get to the bottom of mm. it um and just as then they depart from their meeting uh, he says good evening mr ethan lawrence talbot mm. um you know the quarry has been ran to its hole um and no matter what Ethan says, you know, Ethan is, is quite quippy with uh, Inspector Rusk, uh, you know, trying to sort of divert and distract attention from himself. And he says, and the animal is most dangerous when he's ran to his, um, when he is cornered. But it, again, Inspector Rusk, it's that inevitability. It's that, cons- that, it's that total pursuit. He goes, but nonetheless, it is cornered. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, no matter how many people we will lose, we will get the cornered animal. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I really like, I like this aspect. to that as well, though, where he's, uh, the cornered animal is at its most dangerous. Yes. Uh, yeah, like but, yeah, but that's when he says then, but it's cornered yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and it is this inevitability of pursuit that Inspector Rusk has. And I... I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love these two uh, together. Yeah. I, yeah, I really like um, Inspector Rust, the character. He's he's very interesting, uh, very driven. He yeah, he's very honest. He's got no hidden agenda. It seems he just wants mm-hmm. to find out what is happening. Um, but also, there was that talk of um, he talked about his his phantom limb. Yeah, yeah. So there's an element to him that um, he's amenable to i guess i think ethan asked are you superstitious as well he he, there's Mm -hmm. an element that he will uh, believe like the supernatural and things beyond uh Mm -hmm. and and so i don't know he's just a very i don't know i like his character um his interactions with ethan are very good as well and that reveal of the talbot um 
if you can just photograph that picture, uh, the reaction of Ethan when he says when he yeah, says exactly. that, exactly, it's like, oh gosh, he's got him good. I mean, yes. if you know, pictures, you know, it, it spells it out on his face. Um, so yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Inspector Russ yeah. is really cool. I, I have to say, I love, I, I do love that, and Inspector Russ because there is that, uh, there's that. Line that's probably used in a lot of, a lot of movies that are deal with the supernatural. Um, that I think is evident within this character of, of Mr. Rusk. This idea that once you eliminate the, uh, the probable and all the other causes, then the impossible is the likely only cause mm. for this. And that looks like that's the point of view that Rusk comes from. He will investigate and investigate and he will go down any path. As long as the investigation takes him that way, he will follow the path to whatever the conclusion is. And he doesn't discount anything. So his response to, are you a, a superstitious man is not naturally. Yeah. So he's not necessarily exactly. superstitious, but he will absolutely follow something if that's where the investigation takes. Exactly. And I, I think that that quote, you know, when all things possible have been eliminated, you can only look to the impossible mm-hmm. or the improbable. And um, I think that comes from Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a Sherlock Holmes thing. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think you're right. It, he, he's kind of the most pure character, mm-hmm. um, of, how he views things and yeah. nothing is off limits and also in fairness he's the human character who is working for the law and possibly going to put a criminal yeah. behind bars so that should give us all a little a little sense of happiness that we have somebody out there that's working on the side of normal humans yes. <laughs> going to investigate all of these tragic deaths and put a killer behind bars so that's it's supposed to be a person that's yeah. uh, that's allowing us to feel a bit more safe in our beds at night as well because that's his purpose right yeah yeah exactly yeah i think just um, one final thing on that on rusk i, I love it because as you say he's so human um and i think it was a few episodes before as well his encounter with ethan at the waxworks i just loved it how he's not this machine that is like three steps ahead of everyone and knows everything like he's working Mm -hmm. things out himself and i loved it when he went up to ethan and he goes i know you i know you're involved i don't know how i just Mm -hmm. i just know you are (laughs) and yeah he's got no evidence he's got nothing to back himself but um he just he just follows his hunch um so there's something quite Mm -hmm. um likable about that nature of someone Absolutely. You, you mentioned before, uh, Ray, about the look on Ethan's face. Well, I think as well, um, the, the look on Mr. Roper, uh, right at the start was, um, really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Roper's death at the beginning. That was, uh, one of my notes mm-hmm. as well. It was just that I think, I don't know. He, it seems that with this being episode nine already, I didn't know where they wanted to take this, whether he would bleed in over to another season or his, his ongoing mm. um, battle to extradite Ethan would, would go further. But his yeah. his death was very, I found it very abrupt as well. I mean, it being in the mm, op- yeah. opener as well. And, and so his character, his chapter just closes all of a sudden, even before we really get into the meat of this episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you think this was something that was um, thought out later on, or had they? Do you reckon that would have been? Pl- it seemed unplanned. That's what I'm saying. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, at the time, most TV shows were probably in the region of uh, 22 episodes, mm. um, especially for a second season commission for a show like this. So, uh, first ep- first season was was eight episodes, which would be like a mini series kind of idea, and then the second season got commissioned for ten, and it. It feels like they were trying to put in this storyline of uh, Mr. Roper carrying over from the end of season one. And it does feel like you didn't get enough of what exactly it meant 
it is setting up stuff for season three, but I don't think it was meant to. I think we were supposed to bring some of that into season two mm. um, with why Mr. Roper is chasing them down. Some more details about Ethan's past um, that it probably didn't fit in with the season. So you're right. The abrupt ending of Mr. Roper, while the scene itself yeah. is really brutal, really violent yeah. and really good, um, it does feel like it comes out of nowhere um, considering we waited for three episodes for him to wake up from his coma. Yes. yes. In the sixth episode, I think he confronts Ethan and tells him what his plan is going to be mm. and tells him that he has to leave the country. And then now in the, in the ninth episode, he's dead. So, um, so it feels like something much bigger was supposed to happen with the storyline. And maybe they just were expanding it to say, if you give us 16 episodes of the season, here's a piece we could explore more. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of glad it, in a way that it didn't, because I think it would completely divert it from the main storyline of the main thrust of the show in this season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm. I think it, it's abrupt his death, um, and I, I think that is um, almost down to this kind of um, like v- Vanessa's brutal here with her stabbing him repeatedly, and all, her and Ethan almost have this round robin <laughs> of stab, <laughs> kick, stab, kick, yes. um, which I thought was really kind of well. It's very well coordinated, but I mean, <laughs> as kind of murder goes, um, I think with Vanessa coming at it from the fact that she's read this book, there's something maybe uh, a bit different about her. Um, but with Mr. Roper, I feel he, he, whilst they're not directly connected, his, his connection is with Inspector Rusk. It is this hounding of the, the quarry to corner them and he has cornered them. But unfortunately, it's failed. Um, he isn't able to take him back to the US to his father. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, it's not spoilers as such, but we see Inspector Rusk being more successful in that matter. So I, I think it's a parallel of story of, of um, you know, the Pinkerton and the Bobby on the beat mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that that's how I've always seen it. So it is abrupt and it's a shame to lose Mr. Roper because um that face was really really good mm. when he takes yeah. off um the the leather mask yeah. uh wow that and i i like Vanessa's reaction to it knowing that Ethan ha- had done that mm. um but uh i suppose it would have taken a long time to to construct that but i i did i thought that was really nice uh, and i would like to see have seen Mr. Roper for longer and so in that sense yeah it, it is abrupt it's a yeah. shame we lose him certainly after the reveal of his his wounds mm. uh, from Ethan yeah. um, and how you you really get a sense that that disfigurement at the hands of Ethan uh, has changed the game for Mr. Roper you know he he feels it quite justifiable to threaten Vanessa mm. uh, and the other people because it's like you are a monster. You are out of control when you turn. So, um, yeah, but I thought this was kind of interesting. His, his threat to Vanessa is that he'll have sex with her either, either before or after he kills her. Like, no, exactly. That's it, monstrous. It's <laughs> kind of gone into depravity. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and I think that's where it, you know, he has been scarred by that encounter and who wouldn't be, quite frankly. And it contrasts with the cool level-headedness of Inspector Rusk Mm. effectively trying to do the same thing, which is bring um, him to justice. Um, When it's still slightly unclear with Mr. Roper what bringing him back to daddy actually means. Um, But, yeah, as you say, Derek, it sets up um, season three. Yeah. Where we go on a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to include a note in this episode uh, that I had for the episode because there are some important things that go on with Malcolm and his family and, and things that are going on in that room. But that's actually my note for episode 10. So I'm going to hold that back and we'll talk about that in the next episode. That's it. That's all of our discussion points about Penny Dreadful season two, episode nine. We'll be back with our discussion about season two, episode 10, the finale of season two. And they were enemies next week. Here's a message from Ray's other podcast, Last Sons of Crypto. I am Connor from the House of L. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me, or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catches. But just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are that week. Up, 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 up and, and away! away.